Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message that Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, June 20th, 2021 from the book of Philippians in chapter one. You know, one thing that I love about sports is like sports a lot of times has a lot of like dramatic moments. Like I was thinking about when, um, you know, that time when, um, golly, 2004 and the Red Sox were down three games. Um, to zero against the Yankees in the in the American League pennant, and that no team had ever come back three games, and then they came back two games, and then on that sixth game, Kurt Schilling, like he had just had the surgery on his um, ankle, and they weren't sure that it was going to hold, so the doctor sutured it up again, and he got up there to pitch, and he just started bleeding, like through that sock, and just bleeding through his sock, and it was so dramatic, and then they won that game and the next game, and then they beat the Cardinals four to nothing, and uh, won the whole World Series, and I was I was thinking about that because um, I remember, gosh, it was probably about f- maybe five years ago that I was out running in the on a on an, in an ice storm because I just thought, what better thing to do than run in an ice storm? And I fell down and severed my rotator cuff, and so I had to have rotator cuff surgery on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and then on the Monday after that weekend, we did our Christmas program out at the prison, and I was up there giving my, I had that brace thing on, and I was giving my Christmas message, and I started bleeding through my shirt just while I was making my pitch, just like Kurt Schilling, it was so cool. It was like one of the most dramatic moments like of my entire life. But when I had that, so when I had that surgery, um, I couldn't jog it for like three months and I could only walk, which is super boring. So I started listening to audiobooks. So Nino told me the greatest book in all the world is David Copperfield. So I've always been intimidated by, you know, books that fat, but I decided I would just listen to it. So I listened to David Copperfield. It is so awesome. And then I started listening to like a lot of Charles Dickens. And the thing about Charles Dickens is it's just like sports. Like he, he, he really has a sense of the dramatic moment. I mean, like there's so many of them. He was like a super great psychologist. Like there's a place in A Tale of Two Cities Like, he understood PTSD before anybody ever talked about it. Like, there's this doctor, uh, a French doctor named Dr. Monet, and he he and his wife had a little girl, and then he was arrested and sent to the Bastille for 18 years, and it was terrible, like, in, in solitary confinement. And so they gave him the job of making shoes at this little shoe bench, and that's what he did, like, for 18 years was making shoes, you know? And then... He got out of the Bastille and he met his daughter when she was 18. And after about four or five years, he was kind of healed. He was all healed and he was back in London and he was a doctor again. And then when his daughter got married, he had that thing of like, I'm gonna lose her again. And they couldn't find him. And he was up in his room and he was making shoes. And Mr. Laurie said, Dr. Manette, what are you doing? He said, I am making a woman's shoe today. You know, it's just like he went back to what he was. So during the coronavirus, um, Lee was making a million videos every day. Like for the whole year, all I saw was the back of his head and his back, back in this room, making videos. And it's all he did. And he was so glad when he didn't have to make videos anymore. But I told him this coming year when the coronavirus is over, if I see him back there in the studio making videos, I'm going to say, Dr. Minette, what are you doing? You know, because, but so 
there's a lot of dramatic moments, but one thing about Charles Dickens is he had a lot of dramatic people. You know what I mean? Like people who are real, like over the top dramatic. Like there's this woman in Great Expectations. I listened to that one too. And there was a woman named uh, Miss Haversham and she was going to get married to, she was like a wealthy daughter of a beer maker and she was going to marry this guy. And on their wedding day, she got a letter and he dumped her. And so all the clocks in her house, she stopped them at the time when she got this letter and got dumped on the morning of her wedding day. And she never got out of the wedding dress for like 20 years. And she never got rid of the wedding cake. And it just turned absolutely gross. And like all of the wedding food, she just left it and lived like the rest of her life in this wedding dress. And it was like so dramatic. And I'm like, there's other ways to handle this. Like, you know, like, like, like Scrooge's girlfriend, when she kind of dumped him, you know, but she's after she, you know, when they were, and she said, um, I release you with a full heart in the name of him you once were. You jerk, you know, but um, I mean, you know, if she had known the Lord like Miss Haversham, she could have said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed. Be the name of the Lord. Maybe God saved me from marrying a jerk, which he was like a total jerk. But there, um, so sometimes there are people who are, how do you say it? Dramatic. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like a lot of people today are being super dramatic. Like, so everybody is, you know, like in America, like the way that people talk about everything, the way they talk about politics, it's all super dramatic and people are super upset and they're always offended and they're always, you know, so, um, like, indignant, you know, of just what's happening. And there is a lot of drama going on. There was a guy, and I think that life, you know, hurt is inevitable, pain is inevitable, tears are appropriate and indicated. Drama, pretty much never. You know what I mean? Like to live like in that drama, there was, a, I was listening to an interview with this guy named Bob Goff. I really love him and his books are really awesome. And um, the guy that was interviewing was, ta was talking about Enneagrams, which is kind of a medieval, construct where you take these tests and they basically say the way people grow up learning how to deal with like their childhood hurts fall into like nine categories and so you're one of nine numbers it's kind of a personality type but not really and they were asking Bob Goff D do you think it's important for a happy marriage for people to know each other's Enneagram numbers he said maybe 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 it helps maybe it doesn't the two most important numbers in any marriage to be happy are 100% kindness and 0% drama you know and so like so like the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, like kind of before, well, before we, like back when we were in the park, you know, I was kind of talking about this, like Paul's attitude in the book of Philippians and how he always had like this amazing attitude, no matter what was happening to him. And it had to do with the fact that he was always in touch with an invisible reality. Like there's something invisible that he understood that was um, going on that helped him to have a super positive 
like outlook and attitude. I called it the invisibles. Like why was his attitude always so awesome? And it was because of the invisibles. It's like when Elisha, the prophet, like the king of Aram was trying to capture the king of Israel and he always knew where to get away from him because um, Elisha was always telling him where the king of Aram was gonna attack him. So he was always not there when he came there. And the king of Aram's like, how does he always know how to get away from me? And they said, it's Elisha the prophet. He knows what's going on in your bedroom. So they found out where Elisha and his servant were in this little village of Dothan. And, they, and the king of Aram and all of his soldiers, they surrounded it. And when they got up, his servant was like, this is terrible, what's gonna happen? And he's like, chill, dude. He's like, those who are with us are, with, are more than those that are with them. And he's like, like you and me, and he's like, God opened his eyes, and all of a sudden, he could see that they were surrounded by angels in fiery chariots, you know, and there's invisible stuff going around you all the time, and so if you're in touch with that, you can have like an amazing attitude. So Paul was in prison, I mean, he was in prison in Rome writing to his friends, and but his attitude was so awesome, which is not unusual, it's super not unusual for people in prison to have amazing attitudes, because uh, guys that, you know, that we know in the prison, you know, a guy lives the 20 worst minutes of his life, goes to prison for 20 or 30 years, comes to know Jesus, wakes up and realizes he's in the most depressing place in the state, and he's going to have to get good at having a good attitude, which a lot of them are pretty much ninjas at it. You know, like, I mean, they're just praising the Lord all the time, and they keep their heart in such a healthy place. There's a, there's a, well, I say he's a young man, but um, named Kenny that has come to know the Lord in the last year that a lot of us are coming to know. And uh, well, Kenny's 34, went, in, went to prison when he was 17, so he's officially been in prison half of his life. But he came to know Jesus and he loves the Lord. And he, he goes to work at 3.30 in the kitchen in the morning. So he gets up at two to have time with Jesus. And he told me uh, on Tuesday, he said, Tom, I gotta show you something that God has shown me. It's just perfect, it's just for me. It's just from Jesus. And he said, I've been thinking a lot about, he had heard something on, uh, T.D. Jakes, I guess, on TV about closed doors. And if God closes a door, you have to have peace about it. And, you know, a lot of times guys are hoping for clemency hearing or parole hearing, and then they get a closed door. And so that's kind of an ominous thing. But he said, I've just, and we're concentrating on if God gives me a closed door, I'm going to have peace. Peace is what he wants me to have in closed doors. And then yesterday morning, Monday morning at 2.30, I read this in John chapter 20, where it said, Jesus, all the disciples were in a room. The doors were closed and Jesus appeared to them and said, peace be unto you. Can you believe that? And not only that, Tom, it said on the first day of the week, the disciples were in there. And God showed me this on Monday, on the first day of the week. And I'm like, do I tell him? Do I not? I thought, nah, I'm not going to tell him, you know, but... <laughs> But you know, so like Paul, you know, he's just like, he's a missionary. He's just like, he's a missionary. He missionaries, and he, but he's in prison, a missionary in prison. Like missionaries are purposeful. They're purpose driven. They're driven. You know, they're people who I want my life to count. Lee always tells me, you know why you always feel that way? Like, I want my life to count. I only have one life. You always talk about that. It's because you're an Enneagram number one. That's why you feel that way. And I said, no, I think everybody should feel that way. He said, all Enneagram number ones think that everybody shouldn't think that way. But yeah, I remember there was a guy who had gone to Broadway with his wife. They went to, the, to see Man of La Mancha, you know, and they were all dressed up in their tuxedos. And then Don Quixote starts to sing that song, to dream the impossible dream, to, to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear with unbearable sorrows. And this 
guy's, he's starting to cry and to run where the brave dare not grow, to write. And he starts to write the unwritable wrong. And this guy is sobbing so loud. And his wife was embarrassed. And the guy that was behind them said he realized he had, he had lost his dream. He was a guy that wanted his life to count. And I don't know, he wound up being something. But it wasn't what he had dreamed of, you know? And it's just like, Paul's that kind of a guy. Like, I want to have a life that matters. I want to get out there and all that. And now I'm in prison. And it's like, how did he not have a terrible attitude? Well, he didn't. He had an amazing attitude because of the invisibles, because of things that he knew. So Paul said, you know, so here I am in prison. I'm in Roman prison. This has all, but he's telling the Philippians, this has all worked out for the so much better. Like the gospel is going out so much more now that I'm in prison. And you're like, what? I mean, how are you, how are you seeing this? And he said, well, for one thing, the Praetorian Guard, uh, that was Caesar's special security forces. They're assigned to me because I'm a special state prisoner. And so they're saying, so why, why are you so important? I'm telling them all about Jesus. They're going back to Caesar's family and telling them about Jesus. There's a place at the end of the end of the book where he says those in Caesar's household send their greetings. I think people were coming to know Jesus. And he also says that a lot of people, because I'm willing to suffer for Jesus, I'm inspiring people to get out there and talk about Jesus. Because if he's willing to suffer like for it and be in chains and all that stuff, we could do this. But there were other people, Paul said, that they're doing it out of envy. Like because I'm in prison, they're talking to people about Jesus because they're kind of thinking, um, I'm so jealous of that guy. I mean, like everybody just listens to him and stuff. We're going to tell people about Jesus because we just want to get his crowds and we just want to get his credit. And we just want to get his goat. We're just doing this to get at him. And you think he could, he could have been so dramatic about that. Like, that is so unfair. I am so indignant. Like, I am so upset. I am so offended that people would do that to me. Um, sometimes people tell me, I don't know, because I've never seen it, but they tell me that on Instagram, like, people will put things and you're like, I'm not really sure what they're talking about, but I think they're talking about something like, well, the, all they'll say is like, worst, period, day, period, ever, period. It's like, what? Or, you know, maybe Paul could have put, some people act like they're serving Jesus, but they're really serving their self. And it's like, who's he talking about? Somebody, somebody. My heart is so hurt today. It's like, what? What, what are you talking about? Are you just like, is this just like being, being dramatic? But, and he could have felt that way, but he was just like, you know, this is awesome. And you're like, how is that possibly awesome? You're the one who wants to be out there preaching. Isn't that your goal in life, to be preaching to thousands and you're in prison and leading thousands of people to Jesus and other people are doing it just to get just to get at you um how does that not make you nuts he said no 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 that's not my goal um I have a different goal he said my and I have a goal that I can achieve every day any day I can achieve it in prison I can achieve it in the free world I can achieve it by living. I can achieve it by dying. He said, it's a new goal for me. Uh, my goal used to be all that stuff, but I've changed it. He said, now my goal is I want Christ to be exalted in my body. I want, whether by life or by death, that's what, and I can do it here. I can do it at prison. I can do it anywhere. I want Jesus to be exalted in, in my life. 
And you're like, what does that mean? Well, the word exalted is a Greek word that it's actually it's the Greek word magnify. I want Jesus to be magnified in me. So you think magnified, what does that mean? Like make something bigger. So you want to make Jesus bigger. Jesus is like infinitely humongous, like you can't make him any bigger. But when you magnify something, you're not making it bigger. Like with a microscope, with a magnifying glass or with a telescope, you're making something that seems far away appear closer. Jesus is like infinitely humongous. I can't make him bigger. I can make him closer to people by my attitude. So somebody might say, are you saying that thing where I want to be Jesus to people? Just be Jesus to them? I don't really put that on myself. Um, as Patsy would say, stay within yourself. Like I don't, I cannot be Jesus to anyone. Um, Jesus was sinless for me, it's too late. Uh, Jesus, you know, couldn't meet any need for me, too tired and too poor. I don't have the money it would take to meet everybody's needs. And um, Jesus bore our guilt and sin for me, Two reasons. One, I can't. Two, he done did. So it's too late for that anyway. So bringing Jesus closer to people, I'm not trying to show them what the Savior is. I'm trying to show them what a saved person is. Like, I'm not trying to show them what the Savior does. I'm trying to show them what a saved person does. Like, um, like, for example, gratitude. Like, in other words, like, if I had a life that was full of gratitude because Jesus died for me. Like, Jesus paid, died and paid for all of my mess and all my shame and all my guilt. He paid for Almighty God, became a human being to pay for me. And in him, I have found a savior. And my life is full of gratitude. And not only that, Paul might say, I'm braver than I used to be. My life is, has more courage than it used to, more courage than the average bear. Because not only did Jesus die for me, he rose again. And he's Lord, he's in control of everything. I have found a savior and I'm full of gratitude because he died for me and I have found my Lord who rose from the dead and now I'm more courageous than I used to be. And to tell you the honest truth, Paul would say, I love people more than I used to because Jesus, after he died and rose, he sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus through the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. He's inside of me. He's filled me with his love. I'm full of love. He loves me so much that I can just love other people. It just kind of overflows out of me. I have found a savior. And my life is full of gratitude. I have found my Lord. And my life is full of courage. I have found my friend. And my life is full of love. So anyway, um, when people have a lot of drama, like if they're always, you know, um, indignant all the time and just upset all the time and offended all the time, and drama is really driven by anger. Um, that's the propellant, that's the accelerant. 
And I was listening to this person explain this week that psychologists tell us that anger, anger is a secondary emotion. It's never alone. It's always something else. Anger is often, uh, it's called a substitutionary emotion. Instead of feeling that emotion that they're, they should be feeling, they feel anger instead because you can take it out on somebody. But they were saying that anger often is really, when people feel angry, they have a lot of drama. I don't know, y'all have a lot of, like, are you upset all the time? Like, do you feel like I'm always, I'm always upset? I'm always indignant about everything. Well, if a person has a lot of that, it's, it's anger. But a lot of times, it's what they really feel is ashamed. They have shame. Like, sometimes it looks like arrogance, but it's, they really have shame about themselves, their self-image and all. Or sometimes, when people are angry, if they have a lot of drama, they're really afraid. What they really fear, feel, feel is um, they're scared of life or scared of something. Or if people have drama in their life and they're always upset and they're always angry, what they really feel is alone. They feel ashamed, afraid, or they feel abandoned and they're angry about it. And that's why they have a lot of drama, but like if a person does have a lot of that, if they're always upset and always indignant, just always upset all the time, there's something about Jesus that they don't get because in Jesus they found a savior who's paid for, died for me. He paid for everything I'm ashamed of. Instead of feeling ashamed, I should feel gratitude instead. Like Jesus, he rose from the dead. He's Lord of Lords. Instead of feeling dramatic, angry, slash afraid, I should be braver than that. I found my Lord. And he lives inside of me. He loves me. He fills my heart with love. He's never going to leave me. Instead of feeling, having all this drama about being angry, slash abandoned, I found my friend. And often I think that what people need who are just kind of upset all the time, and they're just, you know, angry all the time, they need to see Jesus up close. They need someone to help them have an encounter with him, come to know him in like a closer way and realize you don't have to be ashamed, you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to feel abandoned and alone. He'll, he's your savior, your Lord, your friend. So I realized that on the Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead, there were certain people who had a close encounter with Jesus risen from the dead. And before that, they had been very dramatic and slash angry. Um, one of them was uh, Peter who Peter was a person who I feel like he had self-image problems anyway. Like sometimes he came off as arrogant, but I think he was really kind of, had a lot of shame in his life. Like when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And he said, 
I never will. In Mark, he said, I never will. These people might betray you, but I never will. And just like, you know, over and over and over again, I never will. I never will. And they were just like, dude, you're killing me. And then, but then when he was by that, when Jesus was arrested and he was feeling ashamed, kind of ashamed of Jesus because he was getting spit on. He wasn't doing anything about it. And this is not the Jesus I knew. And people said, are you one of him? He said, I'm not, I'm not. And then he became angry and he got real dramatic. He said, I he started cussing and swearing. I've never known him. And then he felt, and then Jesus was dead and he felt ashamed of that. But Luke chapter 24 said that Peter had a private encounter, up close encounter with Jesus risen from the dead. And Jesus explained to him that the reason he had to be arrested and died in that way, he said, was because he was paying for everything that Peter had ever been ashamed of and that he never had to be ashamed again. And all the drama couldn't just, in that same chapter, Jesus had a conversation up close, risen from the dead with two people. I think it was a husband and his wife, and they were walking back to the village of Emmaus. And they didn't know it was Jesus risen from the dead, and he started talking with them. And they got kind of dramatic. I mean, it was kind of angry. And he said, what are y'all talking about? And they're like, are you the only one that doesn't know what we're talking about? And I'm like, dude, you know, it's just like, Jesus of Nazareth, come on, man, where you been? And it's just like, you know, and they were angry. I don't think they were really angry. I think they were really afraid. How many bridges have I burned? I've been following Jesus, now he's dead. I left my job and now he's dead. Our family thinks we're idiots. Now I gotta go back home. What is life gonna be? I think they were afraid. And then when they real, and Jesus said, ought not the Messiah to have suffered and then to rise from the dead? And they realized that Jesus was risen from the dead. He was King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They never had to be angry slash afraid again. And all the drama could just, there was a woman and uh, she had been oppressed by demons. And I think those people, in the Gospels anyway, are almost always completely alone. And I think that her life, she, it just, she must have felt like in finding Jesus, I'll never be alone again. And then he was dead. And she went to the grave on the first day of the week. It wasn't Monday, it was Sunday. And his body wasn't there. And she was angry and she said, they've taken my Lord. I don't know where they laid him. Who? They, them, who? Them, I don't know, them. They did it. She wasn't angry. She felt alone. She felt abandoned. And suddenly she had a close encounter with Jesus risen. And he said, Miriam. And she said, Rabboni. And she just hugged on to him and he said, I'm going to my father and to your father, which was code for, and I'm going to send God the Holy Spirit. And through him, I'm going to come and live inside your heart. You have found a friend who will never leave you. You never have to be angry slash alone again. If you feel upset all the time, if you feel like you're just angry all the time, what is it really? Why are you really upset? What is it about Jesus that you don't quite get? He's your savior. You don't have to be ashamed. You found your Lord. You don't have to be afraid. He's your friend. You'll never be alone. You'll never be 
abandoned again. Wednesday night, we were out there at the Morgan County, at the, at the prison out there doing the worship service for Wednesday night. And there was a young man in the back, um, and he was staring at me. And I was giving my talk, and um, he just was staring at me. And he's kind of scary looking a little bit, and just, he had no emotion. He seemed so angry, and he just stared at me. I told a million jokes. I told some good ones. And he just <laughs> stared at me, just staring at me. And then I gave my thing, and I told them, I told them about Jesus, and I told them about how Jesus, I was telling them about forgiveness. And when, and this is a discovery I made that when the Bible, when the, when the gospel says that Jesus forgives our sins, he doesn't forgive you, he forgives your sins. Sins is always the direct object and you are always the indirect object. I checked it out every time, that's the way it is. The word forgive is a word that means to send away. And what that's telling me is, when he forgives us our sins, he doesn't send you away. He sends your sins away because he wanted you, because he wants you, because he loves you, because he died for you. And I just told him all that stuff. And that guy came up to me afterwards and I was like, here it comes. And he said, so I got some bad news today. And I was super upset. And I just felt like, God, I didn't know where he was. And my celly told me, you need to go to church. And I came up and you said the stuff you said. You have no idea what that meant to me. I was like, good. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to know you as you really are, the simple ways you are. Help us to know what it means that we have a savior like you, a Lord, the Lord of all and a friend. We don't have to be upset anymore. The people in our household will say, 